So Money Episode 1204, How Joint Custody Can Support Financial Equality with Emma Johnson, founder of Wealthy Single Mommy. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. This is the most sexist, like debilitating situation ever. Multiply that times tens of millions of women in the United States and hundreds of millions of women in the world. This is just total bull. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Chirapi. Apologies, I accidentally aired Monday's episode on Saturday. So if you're around this weekend, you got an early release of Monday's episode, a chance to catch up with the week, I guess. That was unintentional, but it was just human error. Hope you enjoyed that episode. It is with Emily Rapp Black. She is a novelist and an academic, a scholar, also an amputee. Our conversation really centered around her life as someone who has had a prosthetic leg since the age of six and how that has really shaped her life and informed her career and advocacy for people with disabilities. So you've been waiting for today's episode. Normally you wait a couple days. You've been waiting a number of days. We're in conversation with my friend Emma Johnson, who's been on the podcast before a couple times talking about financial issues pertaining to single mothers and divorced mothers. In recent years, she has become a real champion for an idea called Equal Shared Parenting. This is the topic of this month's Closing the Gap column on nextadvisor.com, where I'm a contributing editor. I've chosen to focus on this particular financial inequity that specifically impacts single moms, divorced moms. Now, here's some context. As a kid, I'm sure you watched Mrs. Doubtfire, right? That comedic portrayal of a divorced dad and how his unshakable love for his children, as well as layers of latex, helped him circumvent a very harsh custody ruling. He wasn't allowed to really see his kids until he got his quote unquote act together. Now, looking back, the film was also classic in its depiction of what happens following a divorce. It casts a light on a complex child custody system and a culture that to this day, underestimates the importance and competence of fathers, and in particular, black and brown dads, and presumes children are best to live mainly with their mothers following a divorce. In fact, according to the census, moms lead more than 80% of single parent households as primary custodians. This ignores modern studies that find maximizing time with both parents leads to better physical and mental health for children. It also puts into question you know, a father's basic right to engage with his child and vice versa. And not to mention, and here's where I get really sensitive, if we believe that time is the great equalizer and that equality, particularly financial equality between men and women is crucial, then a move towards equal parenting time following a divorce could support that. And I interviewed many experts for this article on Next Advisor from all angles, academia, policy advocates, financial experts about how this can lead to narrowing the financial and opportunity gap between men and women. 
Our guest is Emma Johnson. She's the founder of Wealthy Single Mommy, where she leads a community of single mothers. Emma herself is a divorced mom of two. In recent years, Emma has been a vocal advocate for equal shared parenting time. She's been in the media. She's visited state capitals to show her own evidence, her own study of how 50-50 parenting can increase the financial lives of moms. But there's resistance. There are hurdles. There's a lot to still overcome culturally, legally, to make this more of the norm. And we're going to get into it with Emma Johnson. I hope you'll enjoy our conversation. Emma Johnson, welcome back to So Money. It's so nice to see you. I know that this everyone's listening to this on the podcast, but if you want to catch Emma's a conversation with me. We're going to have a lot of content over at Next Advisor. The topic is shared parenting. I'm a little obsessed with it this month. Emma, you've been obsessed with this topic for years. I'm a little late to it. But first of all, just welcome to the show because it's been a while. It's been a minute. How have you been? I am. I'm good. I've got nothing to complain about. How about you? <laughs> you know, today is good. Like it, I get, to, I take it day by day. Today is good. The weather's working in our favor. Um, we're actually going to a wedding this weekend. Oh, that's nice. The and world is reopening. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's like it's like throwback to the old days. We're actually like gonna go see people. I wanted to invite you back on So Money. Last time you were on, we were celebrating your book, The Kick Ass Single Mom. The Kick Ass Single Mom. And you are the premier expert uh, about single motherhood and getting your life on track, not only surviving, but thriving, right? You have all this advice for women from your own experience, but also your expertise about how to sort of be successful financially, romantically, professionally post-divorce. Because oftentimes we characterize like single motherhood is sort of like the welfare mom. Those are your words. You know, you've talked about that. Mm -hmm. That was the last time you were on the show. Fast forward to today, we've been talking a lot because I have been um, taking your lead really and, and following this story about shared parenting. Now, for those of us listening who aren't familiar with this, you know, we just might hear shared parenting and think, what are we talking about? Is that like for couples who are married? Is that, what is that actually? And why is it important, especially today? So equally shared, it's a little bit clear if we, we say equally shared parenting. Okay. Um, and I specifically speak to equally shared parenting for parents after they've been divorced or separated. They live separately, for the parents live separately, right? And so and I, for the, all the parents out there listening to this who are never married, I see you. I see you because now it's the majority of younger parents have never been married. 64% of millennial moms have a child outside of a marriage. So this is the new norm. All good, right? So we're talking to everybody, not just divorce women that are leaving marriages or people that are formally divorced. So equally shared parenting. So you know, think about the people that you know or messages you see in the media or on, on movies. It's the default now, and still the majority of families, the kids stay primarily with the mom after the breakup, and the, they see their dads on maybe a weekend or minority time. And the mom gets child support, and the dad's still the breadwinner, and the woman's still financially dependent on mom, and the kids. See, the mom is a primary caregiver and the mom's poorer, right? We know there's like tons of data, but exponentially, the women are poorer. Single moms are poorer than single dads. Women are poorer than, than men. And this is not acceptable anymore. And why? Well, the number one reason that is basically bulletproof, as far as I'm concerned, is this, there's so much science about why this is best for kids when parents split that time 50-50. And that 50-50 number is important. 
it's not, and I'll elaborate on that in a moment, but we know there are decades now of studies and studies on studies and meta studies of studies that show that when parenting time, the more parenting time is split equally, like as that number goes from 20% all the way to 50% between the mom and the dad, we know there's better outcomes for kids. Kids, when the time is split unequally, well, first of all, men tend to check out, right? They've been told since birth, men have been told since birth that they don't really matter as dads, right? They should right. bring home the bacon. They should pay the bills. As dads, yeah, it's nice if you go play catch with the kids. It's nice if you take them to the movies. It's nice if you show up for dinner, but it's not really important. Like you're a Homer Simpson. You're kind of a bumbling idiot. Don't know how to put on a diaper. That's the message that men get. And then when that's formalized, when that's formalized in a divorce or a breakup by family courts and a judge is like, okay, you get the kids every other weekend, that is devastating for men. They lose their children. You cannot be a meaningful parent at 20% of the time. And there's a ton. I mean, for men, there's a lot of research that links divorce and separation to depression and suicide and mental and physical health ailments. Um, But for the kids, when those dads check out, we have fatherless generation and we have tens of millions of children in this country that do not have meaningful relationships with their dad. And every other weekend is not meaningful. That does not count as a meaningful relationship. And when we have fatherless kids, the risks for our every single social ill, academic performance is lower, mental, physical health, perform, and this is for a lifetime, right? Performance lower, incarceration rates, drug use, early sexual activity, STDs, early pregnancies across the board. Think about it. All the shooters, all of the school shooters that we sadly read about do not have involved fathers. They are all almost all of them do not have involved fathers. And this is something that we can be fixing actually quite easily in theory, because it's one court reform. Yes, that's hard and long, but what we can be doing culturally, you break up, it can be equal 50, 50, right? Right. And this is not just, and I'm, I'm calling on moms because while uh, card carrying progressive feminists right here, like to talk a lot about the pay gap, about how the systems are set up to hold women back. When it comes to families, whether you're married or divorced family court or whatever, Women do have the upper hand, right? We, If you go into court and you argue for majority time in most places in this country, you will get majority time. You will get that. And I'm calling on women to, to change that. So we know that it's best for kids. And I mentioned 50-50 is actually a very important number. It's not just the sure hours that the kids are spending with each parent, right? It's not just the, the building, bonding, that relationship, which is important. When the kids know that it's 50%, right? They know, like as it stands now, they know that the dad is likely to check out because that is what happens everywhere in this country. Men are marginalized. They're pushed out of their kids' lives. And what do they do? They move to another state for a job or they uh, get remarried or have a, another family because they, men are human beings too. They, are, they need to have meaningful relationships and meaningful connections and family just like every other human being. So kids know that when the dads are minority time, they're more likely to check out. But when they know in their mind, it's 50-50. There are Mm -hmm. multiple studies that show that they are more likely, like lifetime, their anxiety and stress and depression levels are lower. They know it. And interesting in my family, we've had gone from everything. I was that mom that the kids should be with me. I, I was that mom. You know, that was, yeah. I had, and I did have the power, but let me just tell you a quick anecdote. Um, my daughter's 13 years old now, and I've had a relationship for her, like going on five years. And she was like, you know, when I was younger and Mitch would come around, I, uh, I, I know I acted out 
some. And I said, yeah. I said, why do you think that was? And she said, well, I think I was really angry because I realized that I probably spent more time with him than I did with my own dad. Oh, oh God. She knew, she knew, she did the math and she did the math and what the hours were and that affected her. Yeah. It's so many of our stories. Like my husband grew up similarly where his parents divorced and his parents, I know them, you know, they're perfectly loving and capable humans. And yet his mother was the one who had primary custody. It was the eighties and nineties. So, you know, clearly then there was a, there was just an assumption that mom is the one. And, 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 I want to talk about so much, right? So there's there's some laws that are changing, which is important. Culture needs to is shifting faster actually than the laws are changing mm-hmm. statewide. And we know custody and divorce is established through your state oftentimes if you take it to that level. Like you can just decide on your own what you mm-hmm. want. If you don't, then you have to kind of go by your state's laws. Then there is this resistance, right? From all angles. Like there's the moms who are resisting this. There is family court that resists this. There is ignorance, right? Like, I don't want to believe the new science. I, you know, I just believe that moms should have full custody. There, And let's talk about the moms who are resistant. Because even when I tease this on a podcast earlier this month, they're saying, hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm researching this. A mom re- emailed me quite angry <laughs> and mm-hmm. said, I would never have given my husband even, forget 50-50, like he should never have been near my kids because he was abusive to me. And it wasn't, it was like verbal abuse. And so she was angry with him and felt like he did not, and she said it was really hard to prove that in court. And so it doesn't always work out. It's not always, and I'm like, of course, this isn't to say that this has to be the way for everybody, but there is a lot of resistance from moms. I want to have you speak to that a little bit because I think some people listening might be shaking their heads? Well, first of all, we are arguing and we being like a whole movement, like thousands of academics, activists, members of the legal community, judges, and feminists. And we will talk about that in a moment, um, are arguing for a presumption of equality, right? A presumption of equality, a presumption of equal parenting time. That's a baseline. We're going to, that's a baseline. And there will always be exceptions, right? If the dad's in jail, he can't take the kids 50% of the time, right? Mm-hmm. If he chooses, if a mom chooses to leave the kids with the dad and move out of state or the country, she's not going to be 50% responsible. That's unfair. And I just talking with an academic this weekend and we're like, that should be considered abandonment, child abandonment. There's consequences for that, right? But um, there are, will always be, and should always be outliers. Mm-hmm. But it is a constitutional right and a basic human right. Like we don't ask, for parents to prove their ability to parent or their safety when they take a baby home from the hospital. Right. It is a presumption that parents are fit and have equal parenting rights to their own children. And we believe as a society and also legally that par- children have a right to their parents. I mean, overall, we well, as a poll, as an, a topic, this is very, very popular. It polls like 80 to 90% popularity across every demographic, men and women, north and south, left and right across it. But just let's extend this to other issues. We believe, for example, that children should not be separated from their parents at the border. We believe that parents have a constitutional right, a human right, a moral right to be with their children and the children to be with their parents. So I would like to frame this in that terms. Now, again, Mm -hmm. I defer to the science and what's best for children. We know that's the case, equal equality. So the outliers, I mean, the abuse thing comes up and, you know, increasingly we are seeing that the, the judicial system 
is, you know, becoming a lot more sophisticated about how they view abuse, right? So a high conflict relationship between uh, parents, a husband and wife, boyfriend and girlfriend, um, that does not necessarily mean that removing that child permanently from one parent's life and vice versa is going to be the best outcome. Right. Right. Also, you brought up a good point that just because you have a flawed relationship with your ex, that doesn't mean he's going to be a bad dad. That I even read this, I saw this the other day, like people believe that if how a man acts in the marriage is reflective of how he will be also as a parent. So if he's not good to his wife, he may not be good to his kids. That's a myth, right? That's that's like a falsehood that we... Well, it takes two. She is probably a crappy wife. <laughs> Just, you know, like, oh, you didn't get dinner on the table or like, I mean, what does that even mean anymore? Like uh, the men that I hang out with think women are crappy wives if they don't go and earn money. Like what, what, which century are we living in here? And what's the stick by which we're measuring people? Yeah. And, and it doesn't matter. Like it, it like it, it really does not matter. I mean, this idea that one, one parent will win one parent will get the kids. One parent will be the dominant parent one. Okay. Again, I will say that the science is there, that that is not what is best for children. Um, but then again, if we're just measuring one better than the other, there's a really great, uh, documentary. You can rent it on Amazon and it's called the divorce corp and they have a graphic and they are like, it's spell it out. It's like, okay, if we're just, it's one, if we have, let's say we have a dad who by whatever measurement we decide he's an eight on a 10 scale, but he's an eight and the wife's a nine. So he, she gets the kids majority of the time. But meanwhile, we have this other family where there's like addiction or abuse going on. And like the, the mom's a three and the guy's a two. That three mom is going to get way more parenting time than the eight dad. And how does that make any sense? And besides that, there's so many resources that we have to get to even measure that. There's lawyers and courts and public resources and heartbreak and, and so much money. And the kids are traumatized and oh, it's so gross. Well, just split 50-50. Split it 50-50. I want to highlight something that I uncovered that I was just made me so mad. That, okay, you said it, about 80%. Most of us believe this is like good. Like this could, and it's bipartisan across party lines. This is not a, not even like a really political issue. No. Yet. Right. There is a resistance. The courts, it takes like 10 years to change law. There's Arizona and Kentucky. Those are the only two states. And Arkansas. That have, recently, oh, wait, Arkansas, Arkansas. Just like in the last few weeks. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Arkansas. So three, <laughs> it's like 6%. <laughs> so there is a financial incentive to keep the status quo the way that it is because uh, lawyers make money when they have to litigate this uh, to make sure that moms get what they want. And then also child custody payments go through the state and the state gets federal money to process child payments, child care payments, Ch child support, child support. So there is a financial incentive for states to not change the status quo because they're making money. Can we talk about this? Yeah, well, so there have been there's been a robust effort to change the law in every state. Like at any given time, there's usually more than twenty, and this is going back decades and decades, right? Like twenty states have active bills that they're trying to change the laws from any more. Most of the laws say, okay, the custody will be determined in the interest of the best, the best interest of the child. 
Well, that's so open-ended. It's just like, okay, fight, fight for who's the better parent. That's what it's saying. And the lawyers are just licking their chops. And it's not just the lawyers. There's a whole uh, like divorce industrial complex built around this. There's the family therapist. There's the guardian ad litems. There's the child custody analysis. And then the judges are financially incentivized because the judges move in and out of law firms depending on where you live. So it's just billions and billions and billions of dollars at stake. So just to give you, just to prove that out, at any time, any time a bill is, gets any kind of activity or attention in any state, the number one opponent is the Bar Association. The Bar Association does not care about the science. They care about killing the bill because that's their industry. That's it. How about advice for single moms, financial advice? One, of course, is this shared parenting piece. And tell us again what you have found about how shared parenting, 50-50 equal shared parenting time can lead to more financial prosperity for moms. So I'm very interested in this. Um, I'll just choose myself as a case study about like fighting. I just came out of my marriage and assumed like I would be like, I just bought into the old paradigm as when and people do men and women both, you know, it's like you're in trauma. Your life is crumbling around you. You don't know what to do. So you do what you know, you do what your friends tell you to do. You do what your lawyer tells you to do. And for me, it was like, get, get the kids, get the money. And I just went into that. And then like a five minutes into getting what I wanted, quote unquote, air quote was like, I'm like, what the hell? Like I have the kids and I, I can't get out of the house. Like I, if I want to get out of the house. I got to pay a babysitter. I've got to coordinate the childcare. And in my family, like I did get child support and that went away. My ex became permanently you know, unemployed for a long time. And I was like, so financially it was all on me. Logistically it was all on me. Emotionally it was all on me. The time was all on me. I'm like, how is this winning? This is the most sexist like debilitating situation ever multiply that times tens of millions of women in the United States and hundreds of millions of women in the world. This is just total bull. It is so sexist and patriarchal. And I was just pissed about it. And it's, and but there was nobody was studying that. And so I went out and I did a survey um, just recently and I surveyed 2,300 single moms and I asked them about their timesharing arrangement and how they felt about it and their income and their attitudes. And it was very, very clear. The more equality, now the majority of moms had their kids actually the, 100% of the time and only 15% had 50-50, but there's like a sliding scale, right? So the, on the sliding scale, the more equality that the single moms had in their timesharing, the more money they made the more proud they felt about being a single mom. And overall, women, moms are in support of 50-50. They want it. They want 50-50 and they understand the value of this for all the reasons, for all the reasons. Mm -hmm. So what else can we share with single moms in terms of getting their financial life back together? I mean, 50-50 shared parenting would go a long way in helping you earn back some of that time to work more or start a business or go back to school or whatever. Sleep. <laughs> There's no requirements that you have to like use this to make more money, but that yeah. would be that would be great. What else are you sharing your huge community over at Wealthy Single Mommy? So a lot of women are probably listening to this. Maybe they're already over that initial hump of the giant breakup when a lot of the big decisions were made. But I still think there's something to be taken because the journey is long. And I think that is my first tip is that the journey is long. And what you do at the beginning sets the precedence in such a powerful way 
for how this is going to be. I mean, most people break up when the kids are little and just think about it. You've got like 20 years ahead of you dealing with this person. You, that's a big myth of divorce. It's like, you don't have to deal with them anymore. Oh gosh, you absolutely do. So, and, and beyond, I mean, the kids go to college and then the holidays and there's grandkids, it goes on and on for the rest of your life. If there's kids involved. So it's like, take, take the long view, take the long view about your relationship with this person, right? Be the bigger person right? Uh, think about your own life long term, right? You're going through this trauma and maybe you can't imagine that you would ever be able to make more money than him. For example, you're negotiating the finances and you have always thought of yourself as the lesser earner. I remember that was early on talking to my lawyer. That was uh, like totally blew my mind because I was a lesser earner. I stayed home with the kids for a little while and I was like, well, okay, we're negotiating all this money. I'm like, it, is there some way that I can find out how much he's going to make in the future? Basically how much I could get. And she's like, well, you may not want him to know how much money you make. And yeah, that's a hundred percent where I am right now. Like, you know, I, my mindset couldn't think that big, but I'm here to ask you as a woman to think that big, that you can go so much bigger and being, so that brings me to my next thing, which is financial independence. Like, the system, as Farnoosh, you said, like the system is set up for you as a woman to be financially dependent on him. And you are better than that. You are better than that. And the the compliance with that child support is very low. The average sums that people get is like $400 and something like 40% of it is actually paid out. It's right. not going to happen. I mean, and the other thing is, is like the higher income the women are, the more compliance is like you can, there's no such thing as a free child support payment. That is going to be conflict between the two of you for the rest of your lives, right? Now, I'm not talking about, you know, child care, uh, health insurance, piano lessons, all that you should totally split fairly. I would argue equitably, 50-50, let's 50-50, right? Um, but in terms of just paying your rent, you both have the kids. Even if he only has them every second weekend, he still has to rent an apartment. He still has to buy a car. Um, the only difference is like paying a little extra food, which is not that much money. Why would somebody else pay your rent equal? There's not, no science, no science that I know of that equalizing lifestyles is somehow better for anybody. It's not that money creates conflict and conflict is bad for everybody. And it keeps you dependent on him. Mm-hmm. No, obviously my tip is go 50, 50 with the childcare. Um, and then aim for low conflict. Like it is not about winning. It is really about keeping things as amicable as possible. And you, you're going to hate him. I mean, you're going to hate him maybe for the rest of your life. And that's fine. You can feel <laughs> however you feel. You will, but it doesn't, but it does not serve anybody to fight. Just let it go. Like even let chunks of money go, right? Just let it go. It doesn't matter if he cheated. It literally, no one, no one cares if he cheated. No one cares. No one cares if he cheated. I can't say that enough. I can meet so many women. They're like, well, I got divorced and he cheated. And so then he owes me this. I'm like, no one knows you shit. Like, just let it go. So that's it. Those are my tips. Those are good tips. I mean, can you speak a little bit about the, you know, there's like a lot of mindset work that has to happen post-divorce. And I, even if you have 50-50 equal parenting time, you know, set up for you, do you see that there are some single women who just don't like you said think big and all that but like sometimes you you know the fear prevents you from thinking big. And so do you have any advice for how to get over whether it's like intimidation, the fear maybe you weren't a mom who worked full time before you were before the divorce, now you have to get back in the workforce. How do you 
prepare for this new life that might ask more of you professionally and financially? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, you are letting go of an old life, even if the divorce was not your, the breakup was not your choice. This is not what you envisioned for your life. Maybe you're the only person in your family or social circles that is going to be a single mom. Um, it is an opportunity. It doesn't matter how you feel about it because you have to think about it as an opportunity. It is new. Like maybe you wanted to be a stay at home mom, but that's just not an option. Like you just have to lean into it. And the more you fight it, the worse off you are going to be. And the other thing I really want women to hear this is like this, this idea of women working and earning, making their own money, equality and parenting schedules is happening. It is snowballing. And our kids, as I mentioned at the top of this, like they are not going to be Ward and June Cleaver. The statistical, that is going to be a statistical anomaly. Like this whole nuclear family, two parent forever. That is, that's done. I judge that all you want. Those numbers are not turning around and our kids are going to live in some other configuration of family. And it is going to look like what I am preaching. It is going to look like equality and they are going to judge you if you have, like, I still hear women that are my age and like, oh my God, my mom, you know, she's still bitter about some alimony and all she did, you know, like, and, and she kept me from my dad and I'm really bitter about it. And they judge their parents really harshly. And now that we know what we know and the science is there, there's just no excuse anymore. Um, and the final thing I will say is like, by you stepping into your power as a woman, into this challenging, I'm not going to just, you know, I'm not going to dismiss it. It is very, very challenging on the onset. You're opening up so many possibilities for the women around you. Like you are setting a new example because those social pressures are so powerful, right? Like you are going to show those, that woman that maybe isn't an abusive relationship that she can step out. Even though you hate his freaking guts, you are going to be an amicable co-parent. And that is going to set a new precedence for the moms in your neighborhood and for your kids. And these positive steps reverberate far beyond you. Yeah. Before we go, though, I want to also address the racial aspect to this, the race mm. aspect to this, right? So we're two white women talking about this issue. But the reality is, is that single motherhood um, impacts black women um, far more in the sense that they will be doing it like 100% of the time. They really have this absenteeism when it comes to fatherhood. For the piece, I talked to some folks who are working to change this. And it really, their advice is more for the dads to say, like, recognize that you may have been raised without a dad. And so you are finding yourself perpetuating this cycle of being absent in a divorce with your kids, but that there are a lot of resources and programs to help Black fathers, fathers of color, and also the families, whether it's therapy, access to legal uh, support, a community, all of it. So important. Well, yes and no, but that is actually buying into a lot of racist stereotypes. Um, statistically, Black dads spend more hours and more quality time with their kids than any other race. So if you want to get into fatherlessness, that's like a federal statistical problem. So when you survey like what's a household makeup. And let's say the moms are the majority custody and she files the kids on her child on her tax returns. That doesn't mean those dads are like not part of their lives. They could be having 50% of the time, but there's no way federally to track that. So that is the idea of the, the absentee black father. It's 
on one hand, there is not a culture of marriage in the black community like there is in the white community. So that's a, uh, that is a real thing, but that does not mean that the dads are not involved in a meaningful way. But then we also get into mass incarceration, which right. predominantly punishes black men, and on and on. Um, so it's complicated, and I'm um, you know, and I also speak to people that work on these programs that are looking to to work on this issue. And it is very complicated. I mean, we look at like, you know, fatherhood initiatives and the message is always, Hey dad, Hey black dads, why don't you do your share? Well, that's, is that really the story that black dads are just checking out because they don't feel like it? Or is it that black dads have been marginalized, that they are not showing up because they don't, can't see their kids because they can't pay the child support and they've lost their driver's license or mm-hmm. they're in jail because they can't pay the child support. And they're in this cycle of debtors prison, which we do have in this country because of child support arrears and on and on. Um, but so I, I have a problem with a lot of these fatherhood initiatives. They're blaming black dads for a really, really deep old systematic and sexist and sexist issue. Because part of that is too, it's like the, you know, we get into poorer communities, which is not at all, specific to race, we're asking poor people to support poor people. We're saying, okay, we have poor moms, poor single moms, and then we get into welfare reform, which is like a whole nother show. But uh, we're asking yeah. poor dads because poor people have babies with poor people. Rich people have babies with rich people. We're asking poor dads to get poor moms out of poverty. Like it's ridiculous fallacy. And what happens is then we, we as a society by these laws intended or not, we marginalize men in their children's lives and they check out this big problem. And let's face it. If moms are fighting for majority time, they're entitled to child support. They're, they're financially incentivized to fight for that. And when yeah. money's super tight, it gets super scary and people don't do the best thing. Right. So yeah. If there was ever a call to action to, you know, not just at the state level, but the federal level, you know, President Biden is, you know, proposing all these changes and programs to support families, which is great. But I feel like this is so basic, right? If we could get this somehow woven into our our initiatives going forward to help families. But if like, to your point earlier, if we want a future where there is less crime, less mental illness, less poverty, all of the things like having equal involvement, more is more as far as I'm concerned, when you have two parents that are able to be around and present and loving, like, why not? You know, why not? Well, make and it's not just the, I know it's not just that it's like, it's the parents. I mean, like now fast forward, like my family, I have a partner, my kid's dad, has a really wonderful new wife. They both have families and friends. There's that many kids that like parents that can like run the kid to the karate lesson if somebody's sick or what. It's like becomes this whole web of community of loving people in the kids' lives. And they don't have to be remarkable, loving, amazing relatives or people. They are just people. And that is it. Like this is the foundational. No child is entitled to a wonderful parent. They're just entitled to the parents that they have. And I think we just need to start there. Emma Johnson, thank you so much. We have a lot more at Next Advisor. So be sure to check out the content there. It's been so nice to catch up. And I know you're about to move with your ex and your fam your new family. So like this is great. You're living, you're living it. You're living yes. it. Yes. And I'm here to tell you it's not always easy. It's like people are like, oh, you can like co-parent because you have a wonderful ex and wonderful relationship. And I'm here to tell you, no, it's not easy, but you can you still work do it. at it. Yeah. Hard. But so worth it. Thank you so much. 
Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Check out nextadvisor.com for the full piece on this. And tonight, Emma and I will be speaking on the Next Advisor Instagram at 5.30 live to talk more about this issue. And we'll be taking your questions. So if you listen to the episode and come with some of your own reservations or questions about this or support of this, we'd love to see you there at the Next Advisor Instagram page, 5.30 live with Emma Johnson. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money.